Are you ready? Ready to release internal pain? To find confidence, clarity, and direction for your future? To live a life of meaning, fulfillment, and contribution? To trust your intuition again, but something's been holding you back? You've come to the right place. Welcome. I'm Ian Hawkins, the host and founder of the Grief Code podcast. Together, let's heal your unresolved or unknown grief by unlocking your grief code. As you tune in to each episode, you will receive insight into your own grief, how to eliminate it and what to do next. Before we start, I have one request. If any new insights or awareness land with you during this episode, please send me an email at info at ianhawkinscoaching.com and let me know what you found. I know the power of this work and I love to hear the impact these conversations have. Okay, let's get into it. I'm going to mention this before we get started with the interview with Rich Allen is that uh, what I didn't mention at the end of his chat was where you can find his books. Uh, it's under his author name, also his dad's name, uh, John Allen, and the names of the books and the links to access these books are in the show notes as well. Keep Calm and Cope with Grief, Life After This and Nature's Reach, uh, really powerful story about how he came to be an author, discovering, uh, not discovering, but experiencing grief at an older age than most. Didn't really feel like he'd experienced it through his younger years and then his world coming crashing down when his dad passed away and this chat with Rich will be great for anyone who's perhaps not really experienced anything pretty uh, big around grief until later in their life because Rich explains how he navigated it and what showed up and the part that I really loved is how often signs started showing up from his dad after he'd passed. One which had happened three days before this recording and the the amazing reaction it got from his partner who is very scientific and perhaps hasn't hadn't been as open to uh, signs from people who'd passed this was yeah amazing it blew my mind even uh, so enjoy this chat with author rich allen hey everyone today i am interviewing rich allen who's a uh, liverpoolian uh, a scouser in north carolina rich great to have you on Hey, thanks for having me, Ian. Glad to be here. Thank you. You are so welcome. Uh, I'm a sports fan, so it's always good to, to speak to, to fellow <laughs> sports fans and football fans and talk about the old days, which we did before we jumped on. Yeah. Oh, indulge me. It must have been uh, amazing growing up at that in that time in uh, the 70s and 80s. Oh, yeah. That, when That Liverpool team. Yeah, Liverpool winning everything. Weren't they? That was the two decades. I think they totally dominated and... My mum and dad's house was only two miles from the ground. Wow. So you could see the sky at night light up with the stadium's lights and you could hear the crowd. And at one point in my life, I actually rented a house right next to Anfield. So <laughs> yeah. out, out of my kitchen window, you could see a brick wall and that was a wall of Anfield. It was crazy. Wow. So the That's noise cool. was deafening. The problem was I couldn't leave my house because everybody parks the cars in the street. So I was blocked in but it was a wonderful time still. Yeah. Yeah. Magic. Mm -hmm. All right. We didn't come here to talk football. No. Uh, so Rich, you've got a few books around grief. Um, 
which I want to start with. And so if we just work through these books one at a time and you can mm-hmm. get with the listeners the inspiration for these books, starting with your first book, Keep Calm and Cope with Grief, how did that come about? Yeah, so I've been in the United States for just over 20 years. And um, for 15 years, I was working for a really large insurance company, you know, a big corporate company. And I traveled America and I was really lucky and um, went from, you know, California, Texas, Ohio, Florida, and I was a trainer. So I would stand in a conference room in a hotel and teach 50 people. So I was face to face with these people, teaching them on a two day course, all about insurance. And I thought, this is it for life. I loved it, you know? Well, in February of 2020, my dad sent me a text message. Um, My mum, dad, sister, and husband and kids, they all live in Liverpool. Anyway, February 2020, my dad sends me a text message and it wasn't to do about soccer or anything else. And he just said, hey, son, I've just got the results of my physical. I've got cancer. I'm riddled with it. Um, There's nothing they can do. I am going to die. That's life. I was like, oh, my God. You know, so So was that matter of fact, the text was that? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I've still got it on my phone. I'm getting goosebumps even just repeating mm-hmm. it. Just yeah. So I texted him straight back. I said, Dad, let's do FaceTime. And he said, no, I'm too emotional. So me and Alison, my fiance, said, we've got to get over there. So we got the first flight out of North Carolina and got over there. Now, this was just before the pandemic kicked in. And it was funny because we actually counted 15 people wearing masks. So, you know, but the flight was busy. The airports were busy. We got to Liverpool. It was busy. It's a busy city. Anyway, uh, I get there to run into the house. And my dad's sitting in his armchair in the living room watching TV. And he just stood up and looked at me. And we both just cried and hugged each other. You know, I, I was just devastated. So he gave me an update on the treatment that they were going to give him, like chemo and possibly radiation. But they told him there's nothing that can stop this. He's got it throughout his body. Um, he was going to die. So we had that week with my dad. And I was looking back now, I'm truly lucky, right, to have been able to do that because that was February, but was it like April 2020 when the pandemic actually came in? And in the United States, we had lockdowns. You couldn't leave your house for a week and things, right? And and there was a travel ban. And um, I, I couldn't get over there to see my dad. And it was horrible. And I thought, wow, this is, it's kind of confusing to me now, Ian, because even now I think, well, not being able to see my dad protected me in some ways, right? From seeing my dad withered away and suffer. But the other side of it is I wanted to see my dad. I wanted yeah. to get over there and spend as much time as possible before he passed. And I can imagine a lot of other people went through that, not being able yeah. to travel to see loved ones, right? Um, it was it was just horrible. Anyway, um, I kept, kept up today you know with the news and when could I travel when can I travel but I just couldn't and I actually looked ironically today I was just going through text messages of my dad and um he, he I can read you this one out it's bizarre he said um what did he say Th- this was October 2020 so I found out in February he had cancer hmm. and now we're in October October 2nd and my dad wrote to me we have just been put under tighter restrictions the whole of Merseyside is affected. We cannot go and see your sister and her family unless we see them in the local park. 
and we cannot drive out of Liverpool unless it's for work, school or medical appointments. And there's been no time limit on this. So this is October now, 2020. Yeah. yeah. Now on November 19th, my sister Gillian sent me a text and she said, Rich, it's now, dad's dying. Um, you need to come over. And I was like, oh my God, you know, what do I do? And I didn't know if I could get a flight. So Alison was tied up with work. She couldn't come with me, but I managed to get a flight over and it took me to London. Um, the flight was empty for one thing. I was only was like hard. one of, yeah, it was like me and maybe 30 people on this big, you know, A330 jumbo jet thing. We get to London landed at Heathrow and I think there's four terminals and three were closed because there's no flights. There was only one open. And I remember walking through, pulling my suitcase and it was like a zombie movie. Nobody was there. Mm. And I went to the ticket office to get a train ticket. And the girl said to me, I haven't seen anybody for three hours. You're the first person. <laughs> I was like, Oh, so and all this time, Ian, I'm thinking, am I too late? Yeah. You know, my sister had said he's dying now. And that was on the 19th. Now, that was a Friday. It's now the Saturday, the 20th. I'm in London, but my dad could have passed. Anyway, I get the train. I get to Liverpool. And my bro brother-in-law, Stephen, picked me up, drove me to the house. And I dropped the suitcase in the hallway. I ran up the stairs to the bedroom. And I got the shock of my life. I couldn't believe it. He was sitting up in bed watching a Clint Eastwood movie because <laughs> he, he loved <laughs> Westerns. And I'm like, I was in shock. I was like... And he looked strong. And I was like, what's going on? I jumped up onto the bed. I hugged and squeezed him. And my dad's hugging me and we're crying. And I'm like, dad, you look so good. And he goes, well, of course I am. He said, why are you here? And I was totally confused. And I thought, well, he's going to be here for Christmas. You know, this is like November 21st. Yeah. So I went downstairs with my mom and my sister. We had a cup of tea. And uh, that was the, the Saturday. The following Monday... Two days later, my dad was gone. The, the, he deteriorated so fast. It, it was just a shock to my system and yeah. to my mom and to my sister. I mean, we we couldn't believe it. I mean, the, the nurses that were there, because they were popping in like every three or four hours, there was nurses there checking on my dad. They said what that is, is a rally. That's what they call a rally. You know, like yeah. just before you die, yeah. some people have this rush of life and they look good, they look strong and healthy, but it's a false pretense, right? It's mm. it's the calm before that storm, I guess. And like I say, two days later, my dad died, and it was Monday 23rd at 7.26 p.m., and I was holding his hand. My mum's sister were holding his hands, and my brother-in-law, Stephen, and the two children, Matthew and Rosie, they were there, and it was just shock, horror, horrible. And that's the first time I've had grief in my life. You know, uh, I lost my grandparents when I was very young. So I didn't fully understand then, right, what grief was. Hmm. Um, I actually had a brother that I lost when I was only three and a half. And my brother was only three months. Um, so again, too young to experience grief. But hmm. when this happened to me, I was, what, 54? 54 years old. And suddenly, grief is here. And it's hmm. not just, oh, here's grief. It was like a sledgehammer. You know, it's like, boom. My dad's gone and he was my rock in my life. You know, he was the guy that I turned to for problems with work, problems with my daughter, because I have a daughter, Jessica, who's 29 now. Um, 
But anything in life, I would turn to my dad for advice. He was like that wise owl. He was my Yoda, you know. I went to him for all of this advice in life, and now he was gone. And I was so scared and so lonely, and grief was just consuming me. Um, So just to jump forward a little bit. So, again, because of the pandemic, we couldn't have the funeral straight away. Um, We had to wait three weeks. And you could only have 30 people in the church. And my dad was hugely popular in Liverpool. He had many, many friends, neighbours, huge family, but only 30 could go in. So organising the funeral, we had to pick 30 people. And that was horrible. You've got aunties, uncles, brothers and cousins. And it's like we can only have 30. But it was such a... um, I felt so proud because outside of the church, there could have been a hundred or more people. And that made me feel so good that... Yes. Sorry, they were there from my dad, you know. Um, But um, so we, we did the funeral and we went to the crematorium. We had a service there too. And I stood up and, and gave the uh, the eulogy and I made sure my sister stood next to me. My sister Gillian said, Rich, I can't do it. You've got to do it. And I said, okay, I'll do it. But you're standing up there with me. I'm not <laughs> standing up there on my own, Gillian. So I love her to death. She stood up with me and she just held my hand while I spoke for 20 minutes from my dad. And um, two days later, me and Alison, we, we flew back to North Carolina. And that's when I left the corporate world because it was funny, uh, and maybe people can relate to this, but without knowing it, we collect things in life, whether it's pieces of paper, books, ornaments, or memories. But during those three weeks, like from when my dad died and we had the funeral, I I was going to church, I was collecting the pamphlets, family were popping into the house, sharing the condolences, you know, just collecting things. Well, when, when I got back to America, it was Alison who said to me, Rich, you need to write a book about this. You'd be really good. You're a good communicator. You've traveled to America t- teaching classes. I think you can write a book. Now, I shouldn't really say this, but my English is terrible. <laughs> <laughs> my spelling is awful, Ian, right? But yeah. we do have this thing on a computer called Spellcheck. <laughs> and that helped me a lot, dude, I'm telling you. So yeah. I, I said to Alice, no, and she says, Rich, did it. So I started writing, you know, scribbling pieces on pieces of paper. And before I knew it, I had three, four, six, and then I had nine chapters written. And I sent it off to an editor to make sure the spelling and grammar was okay. And and then I got it formatted. And then I, I put it on Amazon. And I thought that was it, you know? And And basically the book is about what I went through with losing my dad and the journey, getting over there and, and organizing the eulogy, the, the obituary, the funeral, reading the will, which we we messed up, but I can talk about that um, and everything else. But I also talk in that book about how to cope with grief, like whether it be religion, whether it be you know your faith, or whether it be relying on friends and family, or whether it's other things. And I also touch a little bit on signs from loved ones as mm. well. Um, it's just fascinating. Yeah, and you said that your book too has actually got a lot about that. So we'll come to that book too in a minute. I want to. I wanted to ask about that moment because it was something I can mm-hmm. relate to a lot as well. Yeah. Um, when when my dad passed, it was there was obviously we weren't going through a pandemic, so there was like everyone was allowed, and and there were so many different people from all the different like parts of his life, 
from his mm. tennis to his teaching to the church to all these different areas and and an all the four siblings so all our friends and everything and there was just so many people and that same emotion you're getting there you know that that pride of like wow like he was a pretty yeah. amazing man was there part of you also that was a little bit uh i don't know if it's in awe or, or also a little bit like wow like yeah do I, I mean, need I, to be, do I need to be lifted my game? Because that was my experience. Yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right. Because I've always admired and honoured my dad. And I've, even my job teaching in America, these insurance classes, once in a while, I bring up a story about my dad. I'm just so proud of the man and what he did in his life and everything. But you're absolutely right. Seeing aunties and uncles I hadn't seen for, you know, 20, 30, 40 years and suddenly they turn up. And during the pandemic, because I knew it was hard for people to travel but for the fact that they were there and showing up and kind of funny looking at them with masks on, I had to rec- stand back and think, who is that? And he'd remove the mask and I'd recognize them. But but you're right, I was in awe. And and it, I, you know, I put my dad on a pedestal, but now I put my dad on Mount Everest. He was just so high, you know, because mm. it really hit me. And like you just said, it wasn't just families, friends and neighbors. It was just people he worked with. And my dad had retired like 30. My dad retired when he was 50. So he'd been retired like 30 years, but people from his workplace that he used to work with showed up and, you know, like it could have been like his mechanic, you know, it was all these people that were just showing up and people from like a Chinese takeaway, like a restaurant, the person that owned that restaurant, they showed up. And I'm like, it it was just such a, a surreal moment for me to take it all in. It, It really is overwhelming. I think in my yeah. experience yeah yeah i i agree with that mm-hmm. so you write that book and you said you put it on amazon but did it did it actually go a bit better than what you were expecting yeah um i i the reviews people were contacting me on my facebook page saying oh my gosh i love the way you wrote this book because it my book intertwines with like i tell my story uh, bit by bit and in between that i share the research that I conducted and information that I'd found about grief and how to cope with it, you know, details about, you know, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross and the five stages of grief and and different foods that you can eat to help you um, cope with grief. And like I said, the signs, what they mean. I mean, because this was all new to me, you know, like I say, I'd I'd never knew grief existed and everybody goes through it different. Absolutely. It's such an individual thing. You cannot judge a person like, I, I don't know this for sure, but if my sister doesn't cry as much as me, that doesn't mean she loves my dad any less. You can't yeah. you can't make those assumptions, right? It's just totally different. And it, doing that research and then mixing it with my story throughout the book, the readers loved it, you know? And it went to number one on Amazon in the death and grief section. And I was blown away. It wasn't there long, <laughs> you know, because... Sales on Amazon do this, you know, they go up yeah. and down. Um, but I was just blown away. And, and that's what drew me to write the second book, I guess, um, called Life After This. Just never thought I'd be on this pathy, and it's it's so weird. But I, yeah. I, I, I do enjoy it because we're helping people. Yeah. We, we really are helping people. It is amazing the journey that life takes us on. Sometimes without almost feels like without choice. It's like whether yeah. it's preordained or whether just things have unfolded for a certain reason. Mm-hmm. So you've you've already getting these great this great feedback from people. You 
I imagine the actual writing would have been massively therapeutic for you as well. Um, it was, but at the same time, I, I wouldn't like to say, you know, it keeps the wound open, um, but I get very emotional um, about my dad. I, I just, I, I mean, I think people do, right? It's your loved one, whether it's your yeah. mum, dad, you could be close with your next door neighbour and they pass away and you become so emotional. Um, but it's changed me. The day my dad died, I've changed. I've told Alison this. There's there's two two things in my life that changed me, two occasions. One was the birth of my daughter. 29 years ago, January 22nd, 94, when Jessica was born, because I kept, became a dad. Now, anybody, if you're a mother or father, you know, when you suddenly become a mother or father, you're like, wow, I'm a parent. It yeah. changed me so much, right? And then yeah. when my dad died, that changed me too. So those life and death changed me as a person. Those are the two biggest moments in my life for totally different reasons. Mm, um, absolutely. And that was my experience too. Mm -hmm. And, and for, for me personally, for when my first child was born and that only strengthens when our next one was like, I'm going to be better. Like yeah. this, this child's depending on me. And then the same thing when dad passed, it was for different reasons, but I've got to be better. Like yeah. life's not forever. Yeah. Exactly. It's funny. Somebody said to me the other day and that there's so much you can learn from your own grief and from others, others uh, from going through their grief. And somebody said to me, it's like a rebirth. When you lose somebody, it's like your life changes so dramatically. It's like you, it's like you're starting over. Now, normally we associate starting over or a rebirth as something joyous and happy and a new job, you know, a new you know, house or new relationship. It's a fresh start and you're overwhelmed with the joy, but yeah. with grief, it's a different type of emotion completely. Um, and it can give you that joy, but in my experience, most of it is just, I don't know, more intensity. Like you said, take, not taking things for granted. Yeah. I, I know living in this house with my fiance, every day is a dream. I mean, I am truly blessed. I live on a lake. So when I look out my back window, I can see ducks. I have deer come through the backyard and I feed them by hand. I put wow. corn in my hand and feed. I can stroke them. I mean, because they've got friendly with me now because I give them food, right? But right. I'm just so lucky, Ian, with my life right now. And my dad's passing has truly made me realize that. And it, it's also confirmed with me uh, without a doubt that there is life after this. And I will see my dad again. Um, hence the second book, Life After This. Um, you know, I, I am a Catholic. I went to a, a St. John Bosco school in Liverpool. Uh, my teachers were priests. I went to mass every day. I was an altar boy for several years. I went to seminary school when I was 16, thinking I was going to become a priest. But it, it didn't turn out. And God put me on this path now. And I, I've... I've Believe, you know, my faith is my dad's in heaven, but actually my, my fiance, Alison, she's a scientist. So she needs proof and evidence and maybe that rubbed off on me. So now it's like, I want proof. I, I want to know. And I know if, if I could know for, you know, if I could find proof, my goodness, it would change the world, wouldn't it? I know there's a heaven, here's the proof. That's just not going to happen, right? But that part of me, 
wanted to explore that concept. So that's why I wrote Life After This. So I did a lot of research and I spoke to so many people about that. I spoke to people who had near-death experiences, which blew yeah. my mind. People yeah. who worked in the death industry, like at funeral homes, um, at the hospital, doctors and nurses, at the vet's office with pets, anybody surrounded by death. I managed to speak to some of these people and get their stories and their experience. And it, it just confirms to me that without a doubt, this vessel that we're in, this body, isn't all it is. Once this vessel dies on us, we do move on, and there is life after this, for sure. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I believe that too. Now, you said a lot of that book was around the signs that we get. So yeah, tell us, tell us about some of the signs. This, this tends to come up with pretty yeah. much every person who's lost someone. Tell us about the signs that you saw in, after your dad's passing. All right, so there are so many and and small things and massive things, right? I, I let me let me tell you this one. This is the massive one because this happened to me three days ago, and I've never shared this with anybody. You're the first person to hear this, Ian. Besides awesome. my Alison, because she was with me when it happened. All right, because um, oh, it's the first already. <laughs> yeah, because it's the first time I'm sharing this story. I've got to get it right. Okay, so. Back in 20, February 2020, when my dad sent me that text and said, hey, I've got cancer, I'm going to die. And me and Alison went over there. Um, we actually um, stayed in a hotel close to my mum and dad's house. I didn't want to impose ourselves on my dad when he was struggling with the, you know, the whole cancer thing. So we were just around the corner, basically. But, you know, anyway, one night... We were in the hotel room and we were just looking out the window over the city of Liverpool, right? And there was somebody, we were like on the fourth floor and there was somebody on the street below us. It was two o'clock in the morning and somebody on the street below us was singing um, Sweet Caroline by Neil Diamond. That yeah. song, right? Sweet Caroline. Da, da, da. Well, anyway, I haven't got a good voice. But he was singing that and... A lot of drunken people at 2 a.m. in Liverpool. They were singing it with them. Well, I just broke down crying. I don't know why. And every time I hear that song now, it just reminds me of my dad. And I yeah. cry, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And it comes on the radio randomly and stuff and whatever. All right. So let's fast forward now to just three days ago. All right. So our routine is, you know, we switch the lights off in the house, the alarm's on, we go to bed. And I put my cell phone on the charger next to my bed. And Alison just the same on her side. And we go asleep. Now, you tell me if there's not life or if after this or if there's no messages. We go asleep. I think it was like 12 o'clock. 1.16 a.m. My phone goes off. Sweet Caroline, wah, wah, wah. No and it's way. that song. And it wasn't the start of the song, Ian. It was the chorus, right? <laughs> I'm getting chills again. Yeah. And it was loud and it was blaring. And I sat up in bed and I just shouted, Dad, Dad. <laughs> and I looked around the room and I looked at my phone. And here's something else. We all, we all have cell phones. They're locked, right? And the only yeah. way you can open unlock your phone is you tap in the code or you use your thumbprint. Well, when I looked at the dresser where my phone was, my phone was unlocked. So 
I'll show you it on the screen. So it looked like that. You could see all the apps, yeah, right? Yeah, and I'm yeah. like, how's my phone open? And it's playing this song, Sweet Caroline. <laughs> Alison wakes up and goes, oh, my God. So I picked up the phone. And you know the way you double tap the home key so you can see the apps that are open? So you yeah. can close them? Yeah. Nothing was open. <laughs> I mean, Pandora was not open. Spotify wasn't open. There, were, there was nothing open on my phone. I kept tapping the button like this. And I was like, I was doing this, pressing the button, and there was yeah. nothing happening. But it was playing this song. <laughs> so I pressed the power button so it went off. Hmm. And I looked at Alison, and she was like, I don't believe this. I don't believe it. And I was like, <laughs> oh, my God. So how, how can that be? How can I be there in February 2020, hear that song? That song means a lot to me. I'm sure my dad knows it. And in the middle of the night at 1.16 a.m., <laughs> it just plays all by itself. And, and my phone's unlocked. I, I don't get it. If that isn't a sign for my dad, I don't know what is. Any any song could have played. Yeah. Right? But it was that song. You know? Um, every, every time someone comes on and they've lost someone and they share one of these messages, mm -hmm. like... The person who's had the experience, like I have too, I, I don't need any more proof than that. Yeah. Because my whole body told me. <sighs> you know, you keep an open mind, don't you? I mean, I'm optimistic. I mean, there's, I've got a long, longer story I could tell you that is crazy. Um, but, you know, if something happens, I, I always check the boxes. I think, okay. Is it this or is it that or could it have been the other or, you know, I always try to eliminate. You do this like, yeah, yeah. I don't know, it's like a crime scene, isn't it? You check all the boxes and go, is the fingerprints, you know, what happened over there? Is this the murder weapon? You know, whatever. But you, you, you're doing like an analysis of what's just happened to me. And once you think it's not that, it's not this, it couldn't have been that, then pretty much what you're left with is it's a sign for my loved one. Um. I, I can't explain anything other than it was my dad playing that song to me. Um, so it's funny. A couple of weeks ago, <clears throat> we had a contractor in the house um, talking about some landscaping, and it was me and Alison and, and this contractor, super nice guy, and we're in the kitchen talking. And I don't know how it happened, but he asked me, you know, what do I do? And I said, well, actually, I'm a grief author now. I, I write about um, grief and. I gave him a copy of each of my books and he's like, wow. And then he told me about his auntie that had died not so long ago. And it changed him too. Cause, and we got into this really deep conversation. And unfortunately, Alison lost her dad in 2021. So the three of us are standing in the kitchen, right? In the middle of the afternoon, yeah. talking about grief and our, losing our loved ones. And the next minute, the power goes off in the house. Like the kitchen lights all go off. <laughs> the microwave goes off and then it comes back on. And you know, the microwave makes a bleep when it comes back on. And we looked at each other and went, wow. I said, <laughs> so I said to this guy, I was like, maybe we should stop talking about this. And he's like, no, keep talking. So immediately we started talking again and boom, it happened again. And we were like, okay, the power has not gone off in this house for a couple of years. And normally it's with a thunderstorm, <laughs> but we're standing there talking about Alison's dad, Mel, my dad, John, and his auntie, and the lights go off twice. And, and then we change. Yeah. And they're all just letting you know that they're there with yeah. you. Yeah. <laughs> and we're like, okay, it could be random.
But the timing was perfect to make us think it was a sign from our loved ones. Now, whether it was my dad, Alison's dad, or his auntie, I don't know. But moments like that just, yeah. Yeah. Magic. Yeah, it's Magic. crazy, dude. Yeah, absolutely. And and like I've said many times on this podcast, it's like, why would you not want to be open to to receiving those signs? Mm-hmm. You've you got to be open-minded. Yeah, you can dismiss them, but then you're missing out on the joy and the and the incredible feeling that that gives you. Yeah, yeah. So that that's um, what drove me to the second book, Life After This. It's uh, I needed that proof that there is a heaven, there is an afterlife. So I did all this research. I looked at you know the Romans, the Aztecs, um, the Greeks, the Egyptians, what they did with their loved ones when they died, how they honoured them, how they communicated with them. Then I look at the different religions, whether it's Islam, Hindu, Latter-day Saints, Catholic, how we deal with death and how we perceive heaven to be. And it's all a little bit different. Hmm. And then a lot of the book is talking about signs, how our loved ones, if you're open-minded, they can communicate with us. And I also show how we can communicate back with them as well. You you know, whether it's through prayer, a seance, Mm -hmm. um, whether you want to use recording devices. Um, So I I talk about that in the book too. because like I said, we, we get so many signs now. It's And even Alison's a believer. Being a scientist, she was eh, not not really, you know, there with me, but she is now because she's had, she's had signs from her dad. Wow. It's, it's crazy. I, uh, I wasn't sure whether to share this or not, but given you just said that around uh, around Alison. So yeah. 116, right? 116. I'm like, what's why is 116 significant? So I type 116 into the search as a Bible verse. Oh, Wow. You're going to scare me now. Go on. Well, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. Wow. I know, right? Oh, so- my God, dude. I've got to look that up. You're going to get me crying again. Dude, <laughs> that's, isn't it just, wow. Well, it's exactly what you were just talking about, right? Yeah. It's like, have faith. Yeah. yeah. Have faith. And you don't have to have a Christian faith to, to have that faith in a, in a God no. or a higher power or a spiritual side. Yeah. And if you do, then, then great. But uh, there, is, there is definitely other stuff going on beyond what we can comprehend. And, Absolutely. And it's a fun place to play. Yeah. So thank you. Uh, now, you've got to respect other people, though, because I've had people on Facebook saying, no, Rich, you're wrong. You're born, you die, that's it. Yeah, you know, and I'm like, that's okay. You you can believe that. I respect you for that. That's fine. We're not in an argument. Um, yeah. That's okay. But I don't believe that. That is yeah. life after this. You know, and I think people just try to make sense of <clears throat> life the best that they can to give them comfort, whatever it is, and yeah, and that's fine. But uh, <coughs> excuse me. Again, yeah, the more open we are to to what will allow us to feel better that to me that it's each individual's journey as you said at the start mm-hmm. grief's an individual journey absolutely there's no yeah. comparison and there's no place for me to tell you that you're wrong or or vice versa or anyone because you experience yeah. what you experience yeah thank you for sharing that's sure. that's uh that's did you want me to share another one yeah or, go on you sure yeah. All right. I'll, I'll talk quickly because this one's a little bit longer, but I promise you, give me two two minutes. All right. So 1999. So I'm living in Liverpool with I'm a single a single parent. You know, Jessica's always lived with me. She's 29 now. She's got her own place. And um, but 1999, she was six years old, and she's living with me. And we're in Liverpool, 
and it was a uh, Wednesday and I put it to bed at nine o'clock and I went to bed, I don't know, like midnight and she woke up and she goes, daddy, you know, can I come in your bed? I was like, yeah, come on then. So she comes across and she climbs into the queen bed or whatever and we're falling asleep. And then suddenly I heard this voice in my room and it went, Richard, like evil. Like if you can, I, whatever the devil might sound like, it sounded like the devil was in my bedroom, right? Yeah. So I jumped up, I looked around the room, everything's dark. And I thought, well, maybe I was falling asleep. Maybe it was in my dream. I looked at Jessica, she was wide awake and she went, daddy, what was that? <laughs> and I thought, oh no, she heard it. So I told her, oh, it was just a dog outside, go back to sleep. So we did, eventually I went back to sleep, get up in the morning, I take her to school. And I asked her, I said, hey, Jess, did you hear anything last night? And she goes, yeah. I said, what did you hear? And she said, I heard somebody call your name. And I was <laughs> like, okay, well, you go to school, have a good day. <laughs> I'll see you later. And she went to school. Now, that was a Wednesday. And on the Friday, Friday night, she went to her mum's for weekends. So Friday night, I was home alone. And I was upstairs, in the, I was having a bath. And I heard the voice again. And this time, it was softer. It was like, Richard, Richard. Like, come here kind of thing. So I jump up, I put a towel around me, ran around the house, there was nothing. Everything was closed. So I called my mum and I said, hey, mum, you're not going to believe it. I've heard the voice again. And she's going, get out, get out of the house. You know, she's terrified. And I'm like, I can't leave the house. You know, it's my own house. I said, I'm fine. I said, good night, put the phone down. And later I went to bed. And it's the only time in my life I've actually locked my bedroom door. I don't know why, because I think a ghost can go through doors, but I locked the door, which is stupid now. But anyway, um, didn't that was a fine night. And then it was the following Monday, I heard it again. And this time I was in the kitchen downstairs and I heard the voice upstairs and I just ignored it. So I heard this voice three times. So you go forward six months and my cousin Stephen was having a psychic at the house. His wife was having a psychic over. And I said, ooh, I'd like to go. And mm. Stephen said, well, they're all girls. You don't want to go. I was like, no, I do. So <laughs> I, I paid the 20 pounds and I, I went. And sure enough, his house was full, full of women. And one by one, they were going into the kitchen to talk to the psychic. Well, it was my turn. I go in. I sat down at the table, shut the door, sat down. And I folded my arms like this. And I thought, I'm not going to give you any clues You've got to work it out yourself, you know. I was, you know, let's just see how this goes. Well, the first thing she did, Ian, was she started laughing. And she said, I'm, I'm not being rude to you, but there's a man standing behind you. He's a tall man wearing a long coat and a flat cap. And I was like, okay. And then she proceeded to talk to me for 20 minutes. And she told me everything about my life. And I'm talking the past, the present and the future. She even told me I was going to move to America. And this was in 99. I didn't move over here till 2001. And I was like, I'm not moving to America. <laughs> and I, you know, here I am. Right. Yeah. Um, but she told me all of this stuff. So at the end of this 20 minutes, I said to her, well, I've heard this voice in my house. Who do you think it is? And she goes, it's that man. It's your grandfather. I was like, well, why is he trying to scare me? And she said, he's not scaring you. He's trying to wake you up because you're going nowhere in your life. And he's trying to tell you to make some changes. And that's what you've got to do. Oh. And I was like, wow, okay. And she, she described my granddad. She said, he's a man's man. He's very strict, but he regrets it now. And when he finishes work, 
He likes to go to the pub for a drink, just one drink with the men, just one, and then he'll go home to his wife, my grandmother, and get on with his life. So I was like, okay. And I was writing all of this down, taking notes. So I finished. I went to my mum and dad's house that night for dinner, and I told my mum and dad what the psychic told me. So this was my dad's dad, right, my granddad. Well, I've never seen my dad look scared in his life. But when I told him this story, he was terrified, right? And he got up, stood up, and he said, don't move. And he went upstairs in the house. He came back down, and he handed me this photograph. And it was of my grandfather on the Woolworths building in New York. And he was right on the top. Um, I've got the picture in my book. Um, I couldn't believe it. And my dad said, yeah, he went to America. Because she told me he went to America to work there. And I was like, how would she know that? And my dad's like, I don't know. But but she she got it right because he went over there. He was one of the guys. I don't know if you can see that on the webcam. But there he is. He's the guy sitting down. At the, that's, that's my granddad. Is he wearing a long coat and the hat? He's not there, no. But he's wearing like, what do you call them, dungarees? Yeah, yeah. And he's got his flat cap on. He's, I don't know how many feet in the air, hundreds of feet on the top yeah. of the building with wow. two other old guys. And my dad was like, how would she know this? And I'm like... I don't know. So he was blown away. And I told them, said, she said, I'm moving to America. And they were like, that's weird. One thing she also said, Ian, was that I had the gift. So I'm sitting there in this kitchen and I said, excuse me? And she goes, you can do what I can do. You can communicate with the other side. I was like, I can't. You know, I just laughed it off. And she goes, no, you can. You've got the gift. And she read my hands. She did the palm reading. She did the tarot cards. Anyway, you fast forward another eight years. I'm in America now, right? And I made some friends here. Um, and there was a couple I made friends with who were from Italy. And, you know, husband and wife. And they had two boys, right? Lovely family. Well, unfortunately, uh, one of the boys, he was 15 years old. And he died in North Carolina. He drowned on the beach in, in oh. the ocean. His name was Luca. And it destroyed her. And it, the mother's name was Simona. And Simona was just devastated well they left north carolina and they moved back to italy to be nearer the family well a couple of years later she sent me an email and she said hey rich we're coming back to north carolina do you want to meet up for a drink and dinner i was like sure so we met at this pub and we were sitting outside in the garden area of this pub and we're talking about italy and what she's missed in north carolina anyway she mentioned luca a little bit and whatever and we said good night so i went back home jessica went to bed i'm sitting in the living room and I switched everything off in my house, ready to go to bed, it was pitch black. And I did something stupid, I called out his name and I said, hey Luca, if you're here with me now, give me a sign. And I got this ice cold blow on the back of my neck, like instantly, freezing cold. And I was like, okay, I'm not doing that again. You know, I looked, the ceiling fan was off, the air conditioning was off. Windows are closed, and I went straight to bed. I was like, whoa, that was crazy. That was Friday night. I get up Saturday, I'm doing yard work in the backyard, and I'm on my hands and knees pulling up weeds. And out of nowhere, this big black butterfly does this in front of my face, and I had to move out of the way. It was huge. And I was like, whoa. And I watched it as it flew over my deck and then went into the neighbor's yard and disappeared. And I don't see butterflies, but this one was massive, pure black. Anyway, later that day, Simona writes to me again and says, hey, do you want to go for another drink tonight, something to eat? I was like, sure. So we met her at a different place and same thing. We have something to eat and we're sitting outside talking. 
And in the back of my mind, Ian, I'm thinking, do I tell her what I did? You know, or will that upset her? And I thought, you know what, I'll do it. So I said, hey, Simona, I did something stupid last night. I hope you don't mind. But when I got home, I called out your son's name, Luca. And I felt this cold chill on the back of my neck. I'm getting it right now. <laughs> and then, yeah, and I was like, I'm, I'm sorry I did it. And then this morning, for some reason, I was doing yard work and this huge butterfly nearly hit me in the face. It was the size of my hand and it was pure black. And I watched as it flew away. Does any of this mean anything to you? And she starts crying. And I looked at her thinking, you stupid boy, Rich. You shouldn't have done that. And she reached down into a handbag and she pulled out a photograph, sorry, a photograph of her son, Luca. And she handed it to me. And it was a picture of Luca with his hand out like this with his finger and a huge black butterfly no way. on his finger, dude. <laughs> and I looked at her and I said, do you think? And she went, yes. That had to have been him with the cold chill on your neck. And the next day you get visited by this big black butterfly. And I carry that picture with me everywhere, Rich, of him with the butterfly. That was Luca. And I'm Um, like, so to this day, I've never done that since. (laughs) Really? Because the emotion I'm getting now is that the healing and the relief that that would have given her was so profound. You, You think of like... I've had this experience with other guests when and we've talked about like when someone dies you talk to them mm-hmm. it's a most natural thing because you just want to be able to communicate but yeah. then of course you know life goes on and people tell you oh, what, what, are you, what are you doing that for but we, we just want to know that they're okay yeah like I, I from my experience and and like if you have any sort of faith in life you just want to you want to get you want to sign yeah. And what a gift for you to give her. Like, yeah, I know. So I, I'd be I'd be questioning that choice to have not done that again because to me yes. it's like the the power that gives people. Like, I mean, I, I I don't do it a heap, but with people that that it comes up with, I said I would like do you want to see if we can get something, and and yeah. it's the same reaction. Yeah, it, it brings people it's... to tears of healing. Yeah, and, I, I, you know, it's obvious, right, but I'll say it out loud. It's not like we can send an email or a text message. I mean, my dad's phone number is still in my phone with all the text. I can't send him a text and get something back. It doesn't work that way. And I can sit here now, and I've done it many times and said, hey, Dad, I love and miss you. Can you give me a sign? And nothing happens, hmm. right? Um, but what if something were to happen? You know, and it might not happen at that given time, but maybe it'll be a day, a week or a month later, and then I get the sign. You know, it, you can't question when and where it happens. It'll just happen when that loved one makes it happen, you know? Yeah. yeah. And, and again, it's like everyone's experience is their own experience. But for me, the sign gives you a, a bit of a hint, but it's the full body experience that gives the confirmation for me. Like yeah. I got when you were telling all of those stories, like, yeah, it's like, oh, wow, yeah, it's, Ooh, yeah. that's um, that yeah, is amazing. But... I, I do have a oh, go on. Yeah, we're not going. Yeah, I'm listening. I was, I was going to say, how if you've got a Christian faith, how mm-hmm. do the two of those things work together? How do you make sense of because I because I know for some people in in different 
denominations might find anything to do with like psychic might be uh, not in alignment with their faith, um, which is interesting because, you know, the Bible talks constantly about prophets. Um, yeah. But, but I, I would, I would love your thoughts on, on, on that well, yeah. for your own experience. Yeah. There's, there's a friend of mine now, I'm being honest, of course I am. I, I don't go to church anymore. I mean, I go at Christmas and I know that sounds weak and awful for somebody who says, well, you went to a Catholic school and you had priests for teachers and thought you were going to be a priest. Or why don't you go to mass now? But honestly, I, I believe that God wouldn't re I mean, I'm not saying there's anything wrong in going to church, any church, right? house of yeah. worship or anything but my my thought is that god isn't gonna constrict or restrain us from loving him just by bricks and mortar in a particular place it's nice to be around other people when you're praying at the same time but i pray all the time you know um i think of my my dad all the time i i ask him to inspire me and give me strength and i ask god and jesus christ to give me love and strength you know and it could be, you know, I'm in the dentist chair getting a tooth pulled, you know, and I pray, please help me get through this, you know, because I need strength. It could be any moment in life when you need it. You, you don't have to be in church. And one of my friends, he, he's a, a Catholic and he goes to church every week, but he doesn't believe that. I guess he believes there's an afterlife. Let me let me get this right. I don't want to do him an injustice. He believes in heaven and that when we die, that's where we go. But he doesn't believe there's any communication. They cannot contact us. So we differ on that. Despite his belief and my belief being yeah. very close, but we disagree. And he said, he said, well, my dad died 30 years ago and he's never sent me one message. And I'm thinking, well, I don't know the answer, but Maybe it's that that's because your dad doesn't feel you need one. You're a strong man. Maybe that moment hasn't come for you yet. Or maybe there has been messages, but you haven't seen them. Yeah. Or, or maybe he's waited for um, someone who's got a gift to help him see the sign. Or maybe. Yeah. The <laughs> <laughs> same. Yeah. I know, right? I should talk to him a little bit more about it. Yeah. Maybe I'll persuade him or something will happen. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah. If, if you don't mind me asking, Ridge, because mm -hmm. I, I highlight how grief is more than just when someone passes. It's yeah. any loss that we experience through our life. Do you mind me asking about being a single dad and how that all unfolded? Yeah, so I was I was married at the time. Um, it was a very, very short marriage, didn't work out, and Jessica was very young. Um, and... Jessica was better to be with me, you know, um, the mother wasn't maternal, basically, um, just with just different people. And, you know, we, we worked it out between us. Um, and she agreed that Jessica would be better off with me. So, you know, like I say, Jessica was always living with me. Um, so I got my own place in Liverpool. And, that, you know, like I say, it was it was that was a challenge in itself. I think society is kind of it, it's geared to support the mother and the father, like even separately. But mm. there tends to be more there for the mother, yeah. in my experience. Maybe that was back in the nineties and the early two thousands. But maybe it's changed now. But it, it was a challenge for me. I mean, even silly things like, you know, Jessica would need a diaper change, and and I would look around me and think, you know, I'm out shopping and I've got to change a diaper and I look and when I go into the bathrooms, the men's bathroom, I can't do it in there. There's no changing mats. 
it was in the ladies' bathroom. Well, I can't go in there. I'm mm-hmm. a man, right? So I'd have to speak to the manager of the store and they'd say, well, we'll make sure there's no ladies in there and you can go in there with Jessica and do it then. It's like, okay. But now I believe that there are changing mats. I've seen them in men's bathrooms anyway. But it was just all those challenges being a single yeah. parent. And yeah, that if relating to grief, is that how you... Yeah, so like, like, yeah, the you didn't work out, and you, and you you know you said that we, you were different people and all those sorts of things. But mm-hmm. was there was there any sort of residual effects of that for you for your relationship with your daughter for just relationships in general after going through that? Yeah, I think for me, you know, I was going to dark places. I was, I, I think, I, the biggest part for me, the most upsetting part for me was I felt like I was letting my mum and dad down. Yeah, right. I'd failed them because my marriage had failed and now I was a single parent. I had Jessica living with me and I, I, it never really crossed my mind that I wouldn't know how to do this, how to bring Jessica up. You just, I guess I just kept going and got it done. But I was upset because I'd let my mum and dad down and I'm so proud to call them my mum and dad because we, we still have a wonderful life. It was a traditional upbringing. My mum and dad, my sister Gillian and me, the four of us, you know, my dad worked nine to five in an office job and my mum stayed at home to bring up me and Gillian. It was very traditional and we never had much money, but we had everything we needed, you know. My dad didn't get a car until I was 16. So before the age of 16, I was getting the bus everywhere, the train everywhere, we'd walk everywhere. I was getting hand-me-down clothes. That's just what it was back in the in the 60s and 70s, you know. And there was yep. nothing wrong in that. Um, so it was an amazing childhood for me. And I'm always telling stories to Alison about the things that we did as children and the fun that we had. And and I guess that made losing my dad even harder because there was so much fun and laughter and joy and love. Yeah. And then my dad's gone. And But yeah, when I was a single parent again, yeah, that just, that was grief. And I, I mentioned this in, in all of my books, actually, The Cloak of Grief, because it's got many layers, grief. It's yeah. nothing like any other emotion. And again, it's my opinion, but I think it's the most complex. Yeah, for sure. It, it's because I've been outside cutting the grass and I've been okay. It's a nice sunny day. I'm cutting the grass. Suddenly I think about my dad and I'm yep. crying, I'm sobbing, you know, and then another day I can think about my dad and I can laugh. Because I'm thinking about a funny story or something happened. And that's what grief does. You know, it's the full spectrum of emotions. It's weird. That's exactly what I was going to say. Full spectrum. That's why it's so complicated because it takes us on that that ride and it can be one minute, it can be joyous and the next minute it can't. Um, Yeah. I'll say this too, you know, it's when you know this, Ian, but it's not just emotional, it's physical. Before my dad died, I was going to the gym six, seven times a week. I was lifting 100 pound dumbbells in each hand. I was, I was big and strong and like lying on the bench with these hundred pound dumbbells doing these curls and I was kicking it. And then my dad died, stopped going to the gym. I didn't go for two years and it was only Christmas gone. So it's been just over two years and I've just started lifting weights again. That's why a lot of my tops are baggy on me and stuff. I lost all the weight. I just physically, I just didn't have the, the will and even Alison was worried. She said, Rich, start exercising. No, I'm not ready. Just, yeah, it was just weird. That's grief, you know. 
Yeah. Well, that's it. It just shows up in in weird places and weird times, and yeah, it's a roller coaster. Yeah. Now, book one three. thing. Oh, book three. Yeah. Now you go first. What were you going to say? Well, I was just going to say, you know, well, talking about book three too, it's like, well, how do you cope with this, right? You know, in all three of my books, I've got all of these ideas. It's it's up to the readers to to find what works for them. Like we yeah. said before, right? It's totally unique. Yeah. It's an individual yeah. thing. So you've got to find what works for you to help you with grief. And the key is not to give up, right? You could try something. You're like, oh, I didn't do anything. I give up. I'm just going to be upset. Don't. You'll find something. And you don't have to push or force it. It'll just happen. But these books and other books out there, they, there's things that can help you. So book three is called Nature's Reach. And that came about because where I live, like I mentioned, I'm surrounded by trees. I can see my neighbor's houses through the trees, but there's a lake at the back. We've got possum and deer and raccoons and bald eagles. We see them every day flying over and it's crazy. Wow. But but nature is being very therapeutic for me. Like I love sitting outside on, on the rock wall at the back of our yard there and just watching the birds and the animals, feeding them, you know. Um, even the weather, whether it's raining, whether it's sunny, it can be therapeutic. There's something called sad isn't that, which is the uh, seasonal affect disorder, SAD, S-A-D. And that's to do with weather. I mean, if you think about it, when it rains and it's cloudy or it's cold, people generally feel fed up and miserable. But when it's sunny and hot, people feel alive and you can go outdoors and go for a run or go to the beach and you're happy, you know? So weather has this effect on your your mood and and how you feel. And it can help you with, with grief. Now, personally for me, whether it's sunny or whether it's raining, they both help me with my yeah. grief. So that's why I wrote Nature's Reach to explain like how nature can help us and what activities you can do that can help you with grief as well. Um, even like, not so much with nature, I was going to mention before, um, it was my dad's birthday last September and I still send him a birthday card. And I send him a Christmas card to my mum and dad and a wedding anniversary card to my mum and dad. I still do those things because I've said in my books, it's you know, September 6th is my dad's birthday. Just because he's not physically here doesn't mean it's not his birthday. So I get a card, fill it out, put stamps on it, and I mail it to Liverpool. And my mum will get it. And my mum opens it and she puts it on the mantelpiece on his birthday. Yeah. You know, and for Christmas, I send a Christmas card to mum and dad. You know, um, they still would have celebrated Christmas together. So I still do those things, you know, um, and things like that helps me too. Like, you know, it's funny, I'm going to go over to see my mum, and we're going to go over soon, probably next month. What I love is that when I walk into that house, mum and dad were married for over 55 years. And when I walk into that house, Everything's the same, like my dad had just left for 10 minutes. His coat mm. is still in the cloakroom. His shoes are there. When I go into the bathroom to have a shave, I open the cabinet. His shaving foam and his brush and his razor, everything's still there. His tool shed, his, everything's just the way it was, you know? And I love that my mum has left it that way. And she said, why not? I mean, that's Yeah, it helps my mum. And mm. I'm like, yes, if that helps you do it but i know other people haven't talking to others they've said they've cleaned out the house because seeing those memories upsets them so they've had to clean the house out 
Yeah. And that's okay too, right? If that works yeah. for you, do it. Yep. You know? Yeah. 100%. Yeah. yeah. Um, that was a bit like uh, for my mum. That was like not all the stuff. She, she, she held on to a fair bit of stuff, but we did do a yeah. bit of a clean up and we cleansed some stuff. And Yeah. Um, but again, like everyone's unique. And mm-hmm. I guess for us, like if we can't comprehend what it's like to lose a partner of 50 plus years or whatever, like it, yeah, you can't even imagine what that's like. No. I, I check in on my mum all the time on WhatsApp, you know, and like I say, we'll go over next month to see her. Um, we were over there just before Christmas and we'll go again in April. Um, but I, can't, I told my mum, I'm a sister. I don't know how my mum does it being in that house because, you know, my dad's done all the repairs you know, mm. he, he put the tiles in the kitchen. He put the floor down. It's all of those things, isn't it? They're just yeah. memories, you know? Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. Before we get to uh, what's next on the horizon, mm-hmm. what's been the biggest learning through this two years of, of going through grief and then going through the process of writing about your journey? Good question. Um, gosh, so many... Because like I mentioned, we mentioned at the start, right, it changes you. And I've changed so much. Um, I'd I'd have to say, that is a good question. Okay, I'd have to say this, right? I think now that I am 100% confident that I know my dad is waiting for me, that there is life after this, right? Mm. I'm at peace with it now. That's my biggest change or the biggest yeah, I wouldn't say it was a hurdle for me. Um, I, th- I think it's just the biggest change that I've gone through because I said this to Alison, it was funny, a couple of months ago, we're sitting on the sofa and we were talking about her dad and my dad. And I said to her, I'm at peace. And she said, what do you mean? I said, well, if I die tomorrow, I'll be okay. If it's my time, right? It's my time. So, and I know my dad will be there waiting for me and I'll see him again and I'll see my dog and all my loved ones. Yeah. And Alison looked at me and she goes, Rich, what are you saying? And I was like, no, I love life, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I love life. I really do. I'm, I'm truly blessed. I'm in no rush to see God or see my dad. But I know that when my time comes, I will see him again. And I've, it's sort of like a warm blanket around me that makes me feel safe and comfortable. It's a bit like my dad's, you know, I told you when he told me he had cancer and I went over and he was sitting in bed watching that Western movie, um, Clint Eastwood or something. And I jumped on the bed and my dad held me. I felt like a five-year-old Ian. I felt like a little boy again. And my dad was holding me and I've never felt safer in my life. You know, Um, he's always been that strong man who's protected the family and whenever I needed protecting, he was there. And it was just a weird sensation of feeling like that little boy wrapped up in his arms. It was just weird. Um, and that's how I feel now. It's like, I know he's around me and I know he's protecting me and it, yeah. everything's going to be okay. Yeah. I know it will. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. So good. And I think, you know, what you highlighted there around the, you know, it's like you're a young boy again and that comfort, it's so much of what comes to the surface through the grief is is all those moments, the good, the bad and everything in between. Yeah. And we we just, why would we not want to 
search for those moments of comfort. I got, yeah. oh, when you were talking before about how grief strikes in different ways and sometimes you laugh, sometimes you cry, I can remember sitting there in the hospital waiting room after Dad had passed with my some of my siblings and and a friend that had popped in and, and we were crying and laughing and like everything in between, like even in yeah. those moments, like straight after, it was quite a bizarre, surreal experience. And again, it's no right or wrong. I think yeah, exactly. people yeah. when they're going through it sometimes think, oh, I wonder how people will be looking at me because I'm doing this. And sometimes it keeps people in a state, that perpetual state of well, not being able to enjoy life because, you know, like, well, know can i but at some point you, you need to be able to to move on right yeah yeah that's it and it, that is a, a, a funny moment when you're at a funeral and it's very somber and very moving and suddenly people break out laughing there could be a, you know an auntie and uncle over there and a nephew and whatever and they're laughing and you think what, what's that about why are they laughing they shouldn't be laughing you know this is a funeral it's a time to be sad and you know you're upset you've lost a loved one but but you're right. I think it's it, it's a way of people coping with grief sometimes, letting out that laugh. And there's been many times when me and Alison have been laughing at something over her dad or my dad, and that laughter turns to tears and we start mm. crying. Mm. Because, you know, you're like, oh, do you remember that time when your dad did this and he, he burnt the sausage biscuit in the microwave and it exploded and, you know, <laughs> we're laughing. And then we, Alison will say, I really miss that. And I'm like, so do I because we used to drive down to Georgia to see them and mm. and then we'll start crying, you know, and it's, it's yeah, again, grief, in my opinion, is just the most complex of all mm. emotions. And it's, you know, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross came out with those five stages of grief and, and that was back in 1969, I think it was. But many psychiatrists have said now there's many more stages. It's not five. Yeah. And I, I think like we just said, it's the full spectrum. Yeah, of all the stages, all the emotions you can possibly think of, it's a, mm. uh, it is, it's something that I don't think it ever goes away. Um, yeah, just keep peeling back layers. I mean, yeah. if we if we just look at anger as one example, like mm -hmm. rage, resentment, yeah, revenge, like so many different layers, mm -hmm. and we have to, well, we don't have to, but the, it will present to us at some point. Yeah. And uh, then we have a choice of, of how we deal with that. Yeah. So you mentioned you, when you were three, you, you actually lost a, a brother at three months. Yeah. Yeah. Is that, is that something that you've spoken to your mum much about in your later years? You know, I, I didn't, I am, I actually, and today of all days, I was looking through emails of my dad because I knew my dad was about to pass. So, we never spoke about Andrew, my brother. Um, just didn't doesn't come up in conversation. I've never seen a photograph. Um, but knowing that my dad was about to pass, I sent him an email in 2020 and said, "Hey, Dad, do you mind just tell me tell me about Andrew as much as you can remember what happened and everything mm -hmm. else?" And he sent me a fairly long email with some details. But I've never had that discussion with my mum because uh, my mum took it really bad. My dad told me um, he was really worried about the state of health. She was having a nervous breakdown and she kept having nightmares. She couldn't sleep. Mm. Um, she, it was a, 
I would think the worst part of a life, right? Um, and it is kind of strange that I was three and a half at the time and I can still see those images. I can't remember the whole day and, and what happened, but I, I can, can absolutely see what my mum was doing and the paramedics coming in, going up the stairs to get Andrew and take him away. And um, I can't imagine what that must be like for my mum and dad. Can, can I share something with you? Yeah, of course. Response. Talking about signs. Oh, man, this is really emotional. Um, when my, my iPad's here and I hadn't noticed it, but it, it lit up at 11.11 and there was a message oh. from my brother. And is he okay? Yeah, it was more like, why, why would I, given the conversation we're having at the time, like, why would I have... Yeah. Why would I have got that just then? But, and I was going to ask you, yeah, I had is. forgotten. I was going to ask you, oh, do you have a brother? Because that was what I, my first kind of thoughts. Yeah. And now that you reminded me that through the conversation that you do, it's kind of like, that's just a little message from your brother. Yeah, isn't that is, isn't it? Wow. Well, it's funny. I remember on that day as well, um, of three and a half, but I can remember telling my mom, it's okay, you'll have another baby. Now, I knew that. I didn't know how that happens. Like, where'd you get babies from? I'm three and a half. And a, a year and a half later, I was five when my mum had my sister. We have a five-year gap. So it wasn't long before my mum was pregnant again and she had a baby girl, my sister Gillian. Um, but, yeah, that's bizarre that you just got that message from your brother when yeah. we're talking about my brother. Yeah, <laughs> and and, yeah. Uh, and, the 11, 11, and the 11-11 11, 11, that we were talking about before. Yeah, we came the numbers. About, about the yes. numbers. Yes. Um, very cool. Yeah, um, hard now, to explain. Yeah, so you, yes, hard to explain, absolutely. But then sometimes not at the same time. Yeah, you, yeah. You um, you mentioned um, that you you've got a new book in the works. Yeah, uh, was that inspired by that that memory around your brother? It was to a point, yeah, because this this one's for children and children going through grief. Um, I'd have several people ask me. Um, you've written three great books about grief. You know, what, what's your next one? And I was like, well, I don't force it. I don't look and say, okay, what can I write a book about, about grief now? It just happens. These three books are like, come to me. And they say, well, can you do one for children? Because I know so-and-so who just lost their dad or their mother and they're grieving and they're only four or five years old or, you know, whatever age. And I'm like, I just... Didn't And of course that hit me thinking, wow, I was three and a half when I lost my brother and I didn't feel grief at the time, or I don't feel like I felt grief. I, I'm assuming I was just too young. Right. Um, but I thought, yes, it just clicked. And I was like, I should, I should do that. Absolutely. So <clears throat> I don't know where or when this happened, but I told Alison and she says, yeah, that'd be a wonderful idea. Write a, a book to help children who are trying to cope with grief. I said, I will. And then before you knew it, I had the title of the book and I had the concept and it's only 600 words. And I wrote the book in one day because you know, 600 words really isn't that much, but um, the message is great for adults too. It's a, it's a very um, spiritual meaning to the book. Yeah. And it's, it's a practical thing that children can do. And it'll help them with grief. And I cannot wait until it comes out because, I, um, you know, when something special happens and you go, oh, wow. It's just like that gotcha moment, that eureka 
to me, this is, I mean, all my books were, but this one for children, I guess, touches me more. It's just more special. And mm. I'm super excited for when it comes out. I'll definitely send you a copy so yeah, I can get awesome. your feedback. Yeah. Oh, please do. I, I yeah. straight away, when you started mentioning it, it was thinking like, oh, there, there's such a, a big need for that. Yeah. Um, and thinking about some specific examples. Yeah. Um, now, you mentioned things that are special, Rich. This was a special chat. Like you talked about complicated, how complicated grief is and the roller coaster emotions. That's what it's felt like at my end. I don't know what it's been like at your end, but not, yeah. not in a negative way, in a very much uh, an enjoyable way. And I imagine that the listeners, uh, particularly those who are open to such concepts, would have got tremendous value out of all of this. So, Thank you so much for coming on and sharing so openly. It was, uh, yeah, fantastic. Thank you. Thank, thank you so much. I hope our conversation has helped others. Yes. Absolutely. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Grief Code podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Please share it with a friend or family member that you know would benefit from hearing it too. If you are truly ready to heal your unresolved or unknown grief, let's chat. Email me at info at ianhawkinscoaching.com you can also stay connected with me by joining the grief code community at ianhawkinscoaching.com forward slash the grief code and remember so that i can help even more people to heal please subscribe and leave a review on your favorite podcast platform